The first time that I had a panic attack was after a night spent dancing on tables with Bill Murray. Uh, and the next morning, I was sitting in a college lecture hall, very hungover, and I was sure that I was going to throw up. And not like normal healthy nausea. This was just an acute surety that I was having some kind of bodily malfunction. And I wish I could say that that feeling went away over the next couple weeks, but it got worse. And I checked, it, I checked myself into a hospital at one point because I was sure that I was having a heart attack. Um, one EKG later and a very patient, somewhat bored doctor assured me that this wasn't cardiac failure. This sounded a little bit more like anxiety. Uh, <laughs> But I couldn't hear that at the time because on paper, my life was really good, or you know, it should have been. Um, I was 23, I was about to graduate, and I was part of a club that's probably best described as a, an artistic cult. And we'd party with a lot of celebrities. Um, and on top of all that, I had just enough money saved that I could afford to move to New York City and pay rent for three months while I worked a, a very cool but very unpaid internship. And the plan, um, to the extent that there was a plan, was that after that time I'd have used my charm and my guile and gotten work as a magazine writer, a job that no longer existed. Um, so as you might imagine, I was not prepared for the realities of life in New York City, a, a place that hates you. Uh, just <laughs> by the nature of you being there as one more person with your needs and your dreams and your garbage that you're throwing out onto streets that already have perfectly good garbage in abundance, <laughs> And on top of New York just being a very challenging place to live, the anxiety attacks were getting worse. Um, and and they, would, they would hit uh, when I was particularly hard when I was in enclosed spaces just surrounded by other people, which describes virtually all of life in New York City. <laughs> and it was around this time that the idea of moving to a small, frozen town in rural Alaska started to make a lot more sense. Um, the idea didn't come from nowhere. It, it, um, it came like all of my best ideas uh, from a crush on a girl. And uh, th this young woman, after graduating, had moved to Nome, Alaska. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> to work at a small radio station called KNOM. And as I understood it at the time, the deal was this. Uh, this vaguely Catholic, maybe, radio station every year would take a handful of volunteers from the lower 48 and relocate them to Nome teach them to run a radio station, and the trade-off was you uh, didn't get paid, you had to work all the time, you lived with a bunch of other people in the same house, and you couldn't leave. So, <laughs> not fundamentally different from an unpaid internship in New York. Anyway, I uh, applied, and I got it, and I accepted, and all that spring in New York, when people would ask, uh, hey, what are you up to? I'd say, moving to rural Alaska for a year, and their eyes would get really big, and they'd say, aren't you scared to go? And I'd say, nope, I'm afraid I'll stay. That cavalier attitude evaporated the second the plane started to land on what looked like a narrow spit of land cluttered with ramshackle houses, connexes, and nothing but gray sea in every single direction. <laughs> Thankfully, this was not Nome. This was Kotzebue. And <laughs> 45 minutes later, after taking off, we were landing in what I can only describe as the verdant metropolis of Nome, Alaska. 
And even though I was the only person to get off the plane that day into the balmy August rainstorm in skinny jeans, I, I was pretty sure... I was pretty sure that I was going to like it. And I felt that really intensely when I, I walked into um, my new home, what, what we call the K&OM Volunteer House, and it was just cluttered with all kinds of cast-off belongings from other lost, wayward 20-somethings. There were pots and pans and books and coats and boots and magazines and old VHSs that we watched because there's no streaming in Gnome, so you got to watch VHS if you, you have that. Uh, and... I just, I put my bag down around all this clutter and I just sighed with relief like, I'm not responsible for furnishing anything. (laughs) And pretty soon I got to start learning how to be a radio reporter, um, a a very bad one at first who didn't know his Cape Cruisenstern from his Kotzebue when I would mangle each night's weather report, but an earnest and enthusiastic learner. Uh, And and by November, I uh, was on a hard-hitting reporting assignment in Unilacleet covering a middle school wrestling and cheerleading tournament. (laughs) And a storm rolled in, and planes were grounded, and the sea surged, and pretty quickly in the night, the power went out. So if you're somebody with a general anxiety disorder, this could be a nightmare. But I have to tell you, I was... I got to be in the center of the action while this major thing was happening, scampering around town, getting to find out what the heck was going on. And really late in the night, there was a break in the storm. And up in the sky for the first time in my life, I looked up and I saw the northern lights. And I just thought so clearly all at once, I am so lucky I got to leave New York for this. And this is the period in my life that my girlfriend refers to as me hitting my Alaska puberty. I got a little more confident, a little calmer, a little bit less neurotic, and uh, when I was in Unilclete, I was stuck for days, and I couldn't groom adequately, so it's when I grew this beard. (laughs) On top of that, from work, I was getting to do all this amazing, cool stuff, like fly to places like Point Hope and Gamble and Kobuk, which reminded me of the Bushwick of the Northwest Arctic. Uh, and in town, I was getting to try all these cool new things with these cool new people and mushing dogs and cutting fish and tagging along for these really unique hunts that I'd not even known existed, like crane and swans. Um, rural Alaska was doing for me <laughs> rural Alaska was doing for me what I think it, it does for a lot of outsiders who go, which is pile on more responsibility and opportunity than I thought I could handle. Uh, it, it, it gave me something to seize onto at a time in my life when I'd been profoundly unmoored. And it let me see that I, I was a lot more capable than the quaking, diminished hipster on the subway I was worried that I was stuck becoming. That joke a little while ago about the being afraid it would only last a year, um, that's funny to laugh at in, in hindsight, but I really did leave. Uh, I was applying for jobs all around the country, and the one I happened to get was here in Anchorage at Alaska Public Media, uh, which thankfully is, is very close to the rest of Alaska. Uh, and I was really lucky to get this job because, again, not qualified, and it helped me learn and grow and try a lot of new things. Um, and I'm not fixed, or the, the anxiety is not fixed. It's still there. It wasn't part of Alaska puberty. Uh, 
But as far as the anxiety goes, the, the last time I had a serious panic attack, I was in a plane, small plane, covering that year's Iditarod. And I don't know why I was having a panic attack. Uh, I just remember thinking really acutely, I need to get out of this plane. Which is unfortunate, because if you're in a moving plane, that's the one thing that's impossible. Um, but the, the two things that helped me start to calm down and collect myself were, uh, one, um, taking an Ativan. <laughs> and two, letting myself feel the swell of gratitude that I was having a panic attack above the Yukon River covering a sled dog race for work instead of commuting to a job I hated on the uptown four train at rush hour. Thank you. <laughs>